folks, my name is Kim and this is The Contemporary Educator, a podcast dedicated to all my fellow educators out there who are trying to balance the many demands placed on the contemporary educator. I just want to acknowledge that I live on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. So one of the things that I wanted to touch base about today, and it's been coming up a lot on um, social media and just kind of everywhere is mindfulness. And um, I've been seeing a lot of teachers posting about mindfulness in their classrooms and starting to integrate mindfulness strategies in their classrooms, um, even creating resources that address mindfulness. In a lot of ways, that is so, that's a huge progressive development from where we were even two years ago, really. A couple of years ago, when I left the public school system, mindfulness was just kind of a buzzword that was starting. It wasn't something that folks were actually applying in their classrooms. I know from the middle school that I taught at at that time, it was a lot of people thinking that it was uh, kind of baloney and and wasn't actually going to be helpful for young people. And um, it was unrealistic to start to integrate that. And maybe it would be helpful for you know, the higher grades because they had more self-control, whatever the reasons were. These were just some things that I heard uh, fellow teachers, colleagues of mine talking about. But it's great to see that this is a changing narrative, that we're starting to see the importance of including mindfulness. One of the problems with early stages of these kinds of developments and this kind of progressiveness is a lack of understanding as to why we start to do these things. Everyone understands what the strategies are. You know, people are starting to include things like box breathing. Um, They're starting to include, um, you know, more opportunities for students to get up out of their seats. They might even do guided meditations in class. They might have like a singing bowl and and start doing things like that to um, get students' attention. So there's There's all these things that teachers are starting to apply to daily learning in their classes. And I think on some kind of inherent level, everyone understands that the reason we're doing these mindfulness activities is because students are experiencing things like anxiety, ADHD, depression, all of these really complicated, sometimes diagnosed, sometimes undiagnosed feelings that um, warrant some space in the day to start to decompress and um, and get more comfortable in the space. So I think on some inherent and instinctual level, teachers are starting to do that work already. However, one of the problems that I have been noticing with um, the mindful with mindfulness techniques in general is that it's not going to be all that helpful um, if you don't know when or why to use these mindfulness techniques. It ends up being a teacher's classroom management strategy to get calm and quiet in the day, and it ends up being more for the teacher than for the students because there's very little explanation as to why all of a sudden we're sitting there quietly deep breathing. Students aren't necessarily given the understanding that this is happening every single day after lunch to try to get them to refocus. And if we're trying to use these strategies as a way to get students to refocus and to sit calmly and to be present with their emotions, and we're not actually doing it as a technique or strategy for students to start to refocus themselves, then the technique is lost on them. 
And that's problematic for a number of reasons, because when students go into a class that isn't mindful, they're not taking these strategies with them. They're not sitting there thinking, I'm feeling anxious right now. Uh, uh, from this such and such a class, we used to do this whenever we had big feelings. Maybe now's the time that I should be practicing that. They're not actually learning the connection between the technique and why that technique is being employed in the first place. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Mindfulness isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think that that's also something that's a little bit lost. We start to think that mindfulness is one of these things that um, if we teach a student box breathing in their most anxious moments, or we teach a student how to shake it out or um, to get out of their seats and, and use some energy, that that's going to be something that's going to benefit the entire class. Particularly when we're doing these things collectively, and we have a room of 20 plus students who are all engaging in this exact same mindfulness strategy, we start to actually, as much as it can benefit the group cohesion and get students working together and collaboratively, and, and I think that it can be used that way, we can start risking alienating students if we're not actually talking about what this strategy is good for and allowing students to understand that it might not work for everyone. And that's okay too. That it doesn't mean that you're abnormal or that you're different. It just means that everyone in the space is going to respond to these strategies differently. For example, uh, when I was doing my counseling degree, we would do mindfulness strategies in, in um, our in-person classes. And so quite often we would be led through kind of a bit of a guided meditation or um, we do like collective breathing. And for me, that kind of stillness and silence is very anxiety provoking. It doesn't help me to feel calm. It doesn't help me to feel centered and grounded. What it does is I start to feel anxiety welling up inside me because what I need to do when I feel anxious is move my body. I need to get up. I need to go for a walk. I need to get a drink of water, whatever that may be. I can't sit with it in order to move through it. That's, it's too much. And so even in my 20s, I was already feeling like, okay, this seems to work for everyone. Is my anxiety so through the roof that I am not benefiting from the same strategies as other people? That's worrisome. And I wasn't an inherently anxious person. It was just in these moments I'd feel otherwise calm and ready to engage in discussion and whatever, but then I was like sitting in silence, in a meditative silence for a few moments and starting to feel really uncomfortable. Now with practice, I've gotten better at it and it, it bothers me less. But we're not necessarily um, giving students space when we're when we're doing meditation that way or we're doing mindfulness that way, we're not necessarily giving students space to understand that it's also okay if this strategy doesn't work for you. And it's okay if it takes you a couple of years of practice to be able to employ this strategy successfully. So we need to know that along with incorporating some mindfulness-based work, we need to incorporate a variety of different mindfulness-based works. And not only do we need to include a number of different strategies throughout the day and throughout the week, but we need to actually explain what these strategies are addressing. Are we using that strategy to create a, a sense of group cohesion? 
Are we trying to help students refocus and recenter when they get back from classes? And do we want this to be a strategy that students can use on their own to help recenter? Are we referencing these strategies for particular students when what is perceived as a behavior disruption that then that student can employ the refocus and mind the refocusing mindfulness strategy that you talked about earlier in class? So this is where we're missing some links. And I think it's really important that we start to pay attention to where those missing links are in order for it to actually be helpful. I also want to draw attention to the fact that oftentimes we think of mindfulness as being this quiet activity. And it is often that. But when we have students who are uncomfortable sitting in silence and uncomfortable sitting still in that silence, what we often see, particularly in younger grades, and I've noticed this from, from folks in trying to employ mindfulness in their classrooms, they have the best of intentions, but when students are quote unquote disruptive during those activities, they're starting to discipline them. They're saying, you need to sit quietly or can you please leave until this activity is finished? And so then students are feeling shamed for not feeling comfortable sitting in that mindfulness activity. And that's a problem too, because then we're, all we're doing is we're isolating the students who are, are otherwise responsive to this technique and probably would be responsive to most techniques. And we're alienating the students who aren't. And so then they start to feel as though mindfulness isn't for them. And they start to feel as though um, these activities are pointless and they don't understand the benefit across their um, different platforms of learning and the different areas in their life that this could be helpful. So what should we be doing instead? How do we employ these strategies so that it's actually meaningful, so that this is actually a part of their curriculum? It is social emotional learning. And they're able to employ these strategies in different areas of their life because Ideally, we're not just going to have students come back after lunch or whatever block you end up doing your mindfulness and sit there listening to a singing bowl or listening to some meditative music or whatever and sit with that for 10 minutes. That's not long-term learning. That's one thing that's being employed in a class the same way as showing a video in class and then students leave and don't remember the material. So if we genuinely want mindfulness to be something that students are learning, understanding, and appreciating, we need to make sure that we're including a diverse, a, a diverse collection of these types of activities for students to employ. And the first step in starting to make sure that this is useful is to actually educate yourself, knowing the signs and symptoms of anxiety, ADHD, depression, et cetera, all the different things that our students might be coming in with, whether it's diagnosed or not, and whether there's an IEP for it or not. And so because these signs and symptoms are so diverse across populations and learners and cultures and all sorts of things, family systems, we need to make sure we understand the breadth of which these experiences can be um, displayed. So we need to have an understanding of what that looks like in each one of our learners. And I know that sounds like a really big task and we don't need to know it the very first day, but it can be helpful over time to start to observe students' behaviors and understand them as a response and tool for communication. So if we start to, to disconnect the idea of behavior as being a disruption or a problem or um, like a perceived issue 
And we start to see behavior as a response to an experience that the young person is having, a big feeling that they might be having, or a problem that they might be having, and they're trying to use that behavior to communicate, we're going to have a lot more success with these strategies. Because then we're not going to end up having to discipline students, we're going to be able to meet them where they're at and provide them with an alternative type of strategy that they can use when they're having that behavior. Behaviors don't happen in a vacuum. They're not doing it because they want to be disruptive. Students aren't doing it because they don't value you, they don't value your class, they don't value learning. Student behaviors um, as a form of communication, they occur because they've worked previously. So whatever need it is that student is trying to meet, in the past they've been successful meeting that need, exhibiting whatever behavior it is that they're exhibiting. So what we need to do is start to look at what that behavior is, identify what they're trying to communicate, what need they're trying to meet, and allow that student an opportunity to find an alternative way of meeting that need. So providing them with the skills and, and different communication tools, more beneficial or more helpful communication tools for that student to have their need met. That's a part of mindfulness too. And that's part of being a mindful educator and practicing what you preach. Making sure that you are actually paying attention to the behavior, acknowledging it, and then providing the resources that that student needs to be more mindful of that behavior in the future. Like what is mindfulness if not an opportunity to self-reflect, be present, and start to learn new ways of being in our space and responding to our contextual circumstances, right? That leads me to the next thing that we can do to start to make some of that change. Give alternatives. And at the end of a mindfulness activity, if you are wanting to do a collective mindfulness activity, for instance, um, maybe you've got 25 students and you want all of them to do some collective breathing together, or maybe you're doing a shake it out method or a gentle stretch, whatever technique it is you're doing, if you're doing it collectively, have students rate how beneficial or helpful it was. So you can give them like a little card at the end. Um, I'm gonna have some of my teachers pay teachers uh, account soon. So you can take a look at the rating cards that I, I recommend using. But you can have them rate how helpful that was. And not only looking at how helpful, but also looking at um, whether the student feels more calm, if they feel more ready and willing to engage in learning, if they feel that it helped them to be more present, and then asking them whether or not they can um, rate how they feel in their body. So does your body feel calm? How do your palms feel? Are they sweaty? Clammy, right? Like those are signs of, of somebody feeling possibly anxious or even just uh, maybe having played too hard at, at recess or lunch and needing a bit more time to literally cool down. Are you feeling distracted by anything? Can you name three things that you can see, hear, and feel. So I know that that's also a mindfulness strategy, but um, allowing students to rate the success of each of those mindfulness strategies helps them to identify whether or not that strategy is actually useful for them. If they feel like it was useless, that's okay. That's good information for you to have. It doesn't mean you can't employ that strategy daily or again, but what it does mean is that you can start to pay attention to the individual students who might not be finding benefit from that strategy. So that leads me to the next point. The next thing that you can start to do is provide some alternatives. So rather than having everyone do 
collective box breathing or maybe everybody doing see, hear, feel. Instead, allow some alternatives. Once you ha- you've done a, a, an array of these different activities and you've had a sense of what different students benefit from, start to try to employ even stations that show, you know, here's where you're going to do see, hear, feel. Here you're going to do some collective box breathing um, or we're going to do all three. Or if you need to take a walk around the school, grab a buddy and take a, a quick walk and two of you can go at a time. Whatever it is that you need to do, start to employ some alternatives. I cannot tell you how helpful that would have been for me. Even like I said, at 20 years old, I'm a, I'm a high energy, high moving person. And so when I'm sitting still for a really long time, I start to feel restless. I also experience chronic pain. And so experiencing chronic pain and also not being able to move is anxiety provoking. So you could have students who are having any host of these experiences and asking them to sit for even five minutes. Five minutes can feel like a very long time when you're physically uncomfortable in your body. So allowing students some alternative options can be a great way for them to start to experiment and explore mindfulness in a way that's individualized and useful for the individual. The next thing is read the room. It's not actually helpful to have mindfulness practice every single day at the same time if that's all you're doing. Am I totally in favor of having meditative time in class? You bet. I do this pretty often. In my drama class, we do it. We don't necessarily do it consistently every day because um, I know my kids really well and, and it's not always useful to do it every day. But if you're noticing that students need some grounding work, do that grounding work. Whether it's in the middle of your math lesson or if it's, you know, in, in the middle of uh, a guest speaker, take a moment. It literally just has to be a moment to do that work so that students see it being employed all the time as a strategy to address discomfort, dis-ease in class all the time. So that it's not just this thing that after lunch we do our mindfulness, Before the bell rings at the end of the day, we do our mindfulness. First thing in the morning, we have to do our mindfulness. It becomes this tedious part of their day that is just like any other part of their day. They say it the same way as they would cite off another lesson. So make sure that you are actually using it throughout the day because that's really where the learning is going to come from right? Your ability to read the room, understand the emotions that are present in the room, and then be able to respond to them is what students are needing to see so they can be self-reflective too. So they can say, oh, it wasn't just me who was feeling unsettled. Okay, I didn't realize that. It's everybody. And then they can start to be aware of what's going on around them too and start to be able to use these strategies, like I said, all the time and even on their own. That leads me to the next point. Daily meditation and mindfulness isn't the same as mindfulness as a treatment option. Maybe treatment's not the right word, but um, it's not the same as using it as a mental health strategy. Can it make more mentally healthy classrooms, more therapeutic feeling classrooms? You bet. But it's not the same thing. Teachers aren't mental health workers, but what we can do is start to use mindfulness and meditation um, as, an, as a way for students to start to understand mental health. 
So they don't necessarily, it's not, it's not treatment um, in the sense that, you know, they, they would get from a counselor. I'm not saying that we need to start doing cognitive behavioral therapy in our classrooms um, or, you know, any other kind of therapeutic modality. I don't know that that's helpful, particularly not if we're trained to, if we're not trained to do it, I think it's very damaging. But what I am saying is that if students understand why you're employing these particular strategies, they're going to understand the benefit of them a lot more than if it's just a thing that you're doing. So if you relate the activity to um, feeling more centered so that they can practice, they can do their work um, with more focus, or maybe you're employing that strategy because there's a high energy in the room and it's time for students to start to feel calm, and then starting to make that distinction between this is for me as your teacher so that we can get through our day, and this is for you as a student so that you can get through your day. It's important to make that distinction as well because it's hard for students to sit for six hours a day. It's really hard for them to be in desks for whatever, four hours a day, five hours a day and not be moving their bodies and not be talking to their friends. And we have this high expectation that that's what they're going to do. So letting them know specifically what it is that this strategy is addressing is really helpful. Also understanding where mindfulness came from in the first place. What does it mean to be present? Being present doesn't mean that we are using these strategies to squash feelings of anxiety, to squash our feelings of wanting to move, to squash uh, our ADHD tendencies. We're not using mindfulness to suppress those behaviors and responses. And if that's what we're using it for, we're using it in the wrong way. What we're using it for is to help students move through those emotions and get to the other side of them, having acknowledged that they exist, that it's okay that they exist, but that it's also okay to leave it in the past. Will it come up again? Absolutely. But is it okay to leave that emotion behind right now because we're done with it? Also, absolutely. So it is really important to make sure that we're paying attention to those things when we are doing mindfulness activities. There's a ton of resources out there on mindfulness. There's a ton of resources out there on anxiety and mental health. Um, and I think mindfulness is particularly helpful for students who experience anxiety. Anxiety is also comorbid with, um, meaning that it happens at the same time as or is a symptom of other mental health challenges like ADHD, like depression. Young people who are diagnosed with autism will also experience anxiety. So paying attention to like, what's the purpose behind mindfulness in the first place? It's not enough to just decide that you want to have a mindful practice every day. It's not enough to sprinkle it in because this is what we're doing now. You have to understand where it's coming from. Otherwise, it's not useful. And it ends up just being something that's another buzzword that students hear and they think, ugh, okay, mindfulness. This is a life skill that we're teaching. And if we're teaching it as a life skill and we want this to be something that benefits students long-term, not benefits us in the moment to get control over our classroom, then we need to make sure students understand why it's helpful and why it's helping them. So I hope that this was helpful. Like I said, if you're wanting the rating cards, um, I'm gonna make a whole bunch and put them on my Teachers Pay Teachers store because I think that that would be helpful. I really do promote the idea of of um, students rating their experiences because 
one that's a mindful it's a journaling activity right without asking them to um to journal extensively and do a lot of writing i know that writing for some students can be struggling particularly for our ell learners or our inclusive education learners um it can be much more accessible if there's a rating scale um, that students can access. And also it will help them to understand when and why these things are helpful, if they're helpful, and to not feel alienated by the ones that aren't helpful. And I think that's really key here because we might be catering to the majority of our students. We might have 20 out of 24 students who are really buying into it and are, are finding it really helpful and are finding it really grounding but then we're missing our four students. And those are typically the students who are needing these things the most. So we don't wanna alienate them and make them feel like, God, this is stupid, it doesn't work for me, but 20 other kids in the class it's working for, I don't understand what's wrong with me. Let's just make sure that we're not using mindfulness as another buzzword that we don't actually truly know the meaning of and the, the purpose behind. So with that said, let me know if you've got any questions about mindfulness or specific techniques or strategies. So if you're wanting those strategies, hit me up, send me an email, um, visit my website, thecontemporaryeducator.com. I talk a lot about mental health as well. So if you are looking for some information around symptoms of anxiety or depression, or, or for instance, how these things might be visible to you as a teacher, check out some of my blog posts, my previous podcasts as well. And um, yeah, like I said, let me know if you've got questions. Follow me on Instagram if you want kind of daily updates about what's going on in my life or um, mostly what's going on on the blog. Hit me up at at teach.emote.repeat or uh, subscribe to the blog or podcast if you want updates on all of this stuff. So have a wonderful day, folks, and have a mindful day and make sure that your mindfulness is working for you.